Hey, RJ? Mm-hmm. Where is everyone? Gone. Mostly. What happened? The sky fell, the oceans boiled, the sun died. Lots of things. Really? Really. I guess things really went to hell after I left, huh? Guess so. You weren't... there? No. I wasn't. So, what next? Well, I have us... scheduled for... a bit of walking... and then, uh... a bit of sitting... and that, uh, will sort of cycle... until such time as we reach our destination... at which point... the cycle will end. Are you really not gonna give me a straight answer? Kiddo, have I ever given you a straight answer? Yes. Pity. When we first met... Oh my, going back in time, are I we? asked you what the book you carry is, and you said, Maybe one day I'll tell you. That's right. Well, maybe that day's not here yet. I think it's here, RJ. So it is. This book is a chronicle, or a collection. A legion of voices that told of creation and destruction, life and death, serenity and chaos, struggle and ease. It's a storybook. What's it called? The One Hundred Stories. You write it? Only a little. Can I hear one or two? Of the stories? Sure, kiddo. Why not? Once upon a time, there was a lantern that did not shine. It sat at an intersection of busy streets, barely a fleck in the midst of metal and gears and metropolis. The daily comers and goers paid it little heed, going about their business as schedules dictate. Some laid scaffolding for towers that stretched skyward, daring to scratch a ceiling of wild blue. Some crafted gadgets and gizmos that whirled to the people's footsteps, whisking civilization faster and faster into crushed particles. And some had no business of their own, but cherished the business of others until they had made it their own. These were people of either great character or rabid souls destined to destroy themselves. And the lantern saw them all. What is the use of a lantern that does not shine? Asked a board clerk. In a city such as this, where all is bright and all is lit, 
Is this lantern not a useless thing to be discarded? The lantern said nothing in reply. It is true that this lantern has no light, replied another, but it is a marker for me to turn left, I suppose, a sign that points me on my way. I suppose, said the clerk, who left to toil as prescribed. The lantern beheld the passage of time in many markings. Sometimes there would be shouting and colors and the crashing of conflict and the lantern knew these as the conflagration of minds. Sometimes there would be rumbling, the marchings of many feet on artificial ground, a yearning display of hope and merit. The lantern knew these as the celebration of thought, and sometimes there would be silence, such quiet that even the wind would dim for fear of breaking. And the lantern knew these as the defilement of constancy. The lantern beheld it all. What is the use of a lantern that does not shine? wondered a passing coat. In a city such as this, where all is fast and all is new, is this lantern not an ancient thing to be forgotten? The lantern remained still. It is true that the lantern is old, replied another, but it reminds me of where we've been, and of where we have still to go. A memorial, to progress, I'd call it. If you say so, said the coat, who fled to stay on the ticking clock's time. The lantern could not see the sky from where it lay, but it could see windows, countless worlds of glass, that held as much as the covered sky and more. There were many kinds, windows with curtains held just aloft, enough to tease and toss but never show, windows freshly cleaned, and so clear that the lantern could see beyond, far into the nooks and crannies of every day and any day and every time and any time, windows tinted, obscuring sight, leaving its contents for the lantern to imagine. There were dragons in those windows, the lantern was sure. But still, the lantern could not see the sky. What is the use of a lantern that does not shine? questioned a clattering doubt. In a city such as this, where gold and silver are common as coppers glean, is this iron lantern not a cheap thing to be broken down for other needs? The lantern was stoic in its turn. It is true that the lantern is cheap, replied another. But perhaps its value shouldn't be measured by gold or by silver. It is a comfort, you see, that I see this lantern every day, every time I pass. It's a broken, old, cheap lantern, but it's also a sign, a memorial, and a warmth within this city of cold. And for that, for me and for others who feel the same, this lantern is priceless. The doubt dissolved, 
and those that had become fond of the lantern, in spite of its faults, built a stand for it to sit upon. It wasn't much, but from where it had been moved, the lantern could at last see the sky. And at this, the lantern spoke. Thank you. It's your favorite narrator, Matthew Collins, here, stopping the podcast for just a moment to thank you so much for listening to the inaugural episode of The 100 Stories. In case you haven't realized, this is a short story podcast that features a smattering of original tales from, you guessed it, moi. If you enjoy the show, I highly encourage you to leave a review wherever reviews can be found, and most of all, to please, please, please... Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your dog. Maybe especially your dog, because spoiler alert, there's some dog content coming soon, and every dog should hear it. Why? Because they're rad. Along the same lines, if you're wondering how frequently this podcast is going to be released, unfortunately, this is a one-man show, with a lot of bits and pieces to put together. So it's going to be on a monthly basis, barring large changes in how efficiently I can make it, and or audience interest. If you want to stay informed on all the news and updates regarding The 100 Stories, follow us on Twitter at The 100 Stories, capital T, capital S, and 100 is the number, not the words. I'd be happy to see you all there. Alrighty, I think that's it. It's time I let you all go to enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. There was a time, long ago, when the people of the world decided to make a list. A list that which upon was written the most important jobs known at the time. Now as it was a most comprehensive list, it contained vocations that spanned the spectrum. From king to cook, from queen to crook, and from duke to kook. One of the vocations on this list was the role of Grand Archivist. The Archivist was tasked with writing down all that was, and all that is, and all that there shall ever be. To aid in their task, the Archivist was granted a looking-glass through which one could see the past, the present, even the future. Almost anything. Almost. Intrigued, the archivist accepted the help, as their task was most impossible without, and used the looking-glass frequently. And they saw much. They saw islands disappear beneath a rising ocean. They saw cities adorned in golden vines. 
and desert dunes of crystal sand falling and flowing into empty lakes and hollow mountains. They saw the bloody cruelty of war, the frivolity of paper, and the common compassions that bloomed in the wake of these conflicts. They saw the rotations of the stars, and the swirling of dust and the death of truth, and the resurrection of the gods. Too much. They saw too much. But still they wrote, as they had been charged. The work of centuries was passed from archivist to archivist. Entire libraries were filled with the labor of their forebears, and space was left for those to come. But no one reads. The libraries are empty, and the records are rotten. Footsteps are quick to pass, and heads turn away. It is a cursed place, say the rocks and the water. It is a mansion of wilted dreams. I must write, the archivist thinks, burning away within the looking glass. I am tasked with the recording of a universal tome. I am weighed by the fruits of my vision. I am judged by the measure of my pages. They have to know. History is the future. The archivists are never told how their work is received. Never think that their writings could be ignored. Their stories forgotten. The looking glass sees many things. But what it cannot see is the archivist's own destiny. There was a time, long ago, when the people of the world decided to make a list. A list that which upon was written the most important jobs known at the time. Now as it was a most comprehensive list. It contained vocations that spanned the spectrum. From king to cook, from queen to crook, and from duke to kook. The calling of Grand Archivist was at the very bottom. It is said that the very best of people can speak to the sky. It is said that words can cleave the mountains, and that breath can calm the sea. It has been said that the soul of the world is made of leaves, and the heart from intentions. Once upon a time there lived the One. The One was born with nothing, and the world left them with little to grow on. They tried what they could worked where they did, and wondered why they should. The one was a melancholy sort, drawn to dreaming. They often thought of the clouds, the fluffy ones, the misshapen ones, the slow ones, the angry ones, the deadly ones. The one thought about them all, and on a Friday night while they dreamed, the one resolved to teach the clouds. The wood laughed at the declaration. How can just the one 
Attempt the impossible. Where is the mountain tall enough to talk to the sky? Why should one with so little want for so much? But the one left the wood behind, with eyes full of sunlight, and hands that could reach farther, much farther, than the one could ever hope to see. The one traveled, speaking to what would talk, and wandering where they could walk. Eventually, the one found a pond, a pond so clear that they could see the clouds as though they were right in front of the one. But, though reflections make what is far away seem clear, reflections they are still. So when the one tried to speak with their focus, the only one to answer was the one themselves. So, the one left the pond and found a mountain like the wood had jeered about. But the path was rough, and the weather unforgiving. So the one took the words the wood had left them, and fashioned a walking stick from their structure, and climbed the mountain. As they did, the one drew a path behind them, hoping that others who wished to climb would find the journey less arduous. When the one reached the peak of the mountain, they asked why it was so tall. It is in my nature, said the mountain, and no more. Even still, when the one looked up, the clouds were far above and could not hear their speech. So they left. After many years, the one returned to the wood, who taunted once more at their coming. So the one was false after all. The one was too few, the ponds too sullied, the mountains too tall. No, said the one. I found a pond that made the clouds seem close. But you could not speak to them? No, said the one. But I found a mountain tall enough to talk to the sky. But did they hear? No said the one. So the one was too few. No, one was enough. Why did you want for so much when you were destined for so little? Because it is my nature, the one knew. But you were false. No, said the one. I was true. And with that, the one asked the ground to lift them up, and the ground did. They asked the wind to carry their words, and they did. They asked the sun to shine, and the oceans to quiet, and the stars to sing, and the world to wake, and they did. And, of course, the one taught the clouds. And, when the clouds asked, the one how it had achieved so much, when it had been given so little, the one said, Because I am the mountain. <laughs>